Welcome to the experience. Sharing insights into the future of customer and employee experiences with Avaya. Welcome back to another episode of The Experience, brought to you by Avaya, where we're bringing you thought-provoking conversations with industry leaders, technologists, creators, influencers, and others who are bringing to life the future of experiences. I'm Steve Forkham, and on the show today, we have the co-founder and CEO of Journey AI, Brett Shockley. Journey AI is an identity platform that considers the impact that security and online privacy can have on the customer experience. Brett is with us today to discuss how technologies of privacy and security are being transformed and what that means for the builders of customer experience. First off, I want to say thank you, Brett, for joining today's uh, podcast. It's great to be here, Steve. Now, you don't know this, but I sat in audiences at Engage and other places and watched you present and always kind of looked up and said, man, I want to be like Brett, you know, and before co-founding Journey AI, you were the CTO of Avaya. That was where I got my first exposure to you. What was one of the most impactful ideas that you took away from your time as CTO at Avaya? One of the things that really jumped out at me uh, when I was at Avaya is the number of really, truly smart people that were spread throughout the organization. And, you know, one of the biggest opportunities that I always saw within Avaya was you could bring people together that were some of the leading thought leaders on almost any technology or business process topic uh, that, that existed in our space. You know, it's fascinating for me to uh, get back involved in a number of these big projects with Avaya these days because I'm seeing things that we had in the labs that we had in emerging products and technology five, six, seven years ago that are now making it into high volume production solutions in the cloud, for example, that bring a lot of really unique core technology into these solutions and make things possible that just weren't possible, you know, five or 10 years ago. Yeah. And what you guys do at Journey, I find number one, fascinating and number two, coming at a, a perfect moment in time. And for those who know me, I always kind of deal with personal stories lead to technology and I've got one that really just illustrated Journey AI. And I actually, it happened a day before I had to do a demo of some of the stuff you guys were integrating with our contact center. You know, back when I was a kid, my parents used to teach me, don't take candy from strangers, right? And in today's parlance, it's don't accept phone calls from people you don't recognize, especially if they're asking you for personal contact info. And I was sitting on the couch watching a TV show at home and I received a call from my bank and I looked at it and I said, I'm not expecting a call from my bank. I don't know why they're calling. I'm not answering this call. And I just didn't think anything of it. And then I get a phone call literally within minutes from my mother across town. And that opened up another issue. I'm going to have to have the discussion in reverse with them of don't answer phone calls from strangers and don't give them personal info because they answered the phone call from this person saying they were at a bank and gave out personal information, uh, sight unseen, not knowing who this person was. And it turns out it was a legitimate call. It was actually from my bank because somebody had opened an account in my name without me knowing it. And it really made me start to think about not only, you know, the, the danger here that I've got to talk to my parents about a potential, you know, private identity theft issue, but it opened up the eyes of how does a, a legitimate business actually reach out to their customers and then verify because they've got to know who they're talking to. How do they verify that? 
you know, in the social media world, we have things like the blue check marks on Twitter accounts and such. And you guys actually have a unique solution to solve this. So what do you think the, the state of the online security and customer experience for large institutions looks like today? And what improvements do you think are, are possible with the toolkit that we have now and what's coming? Very interesting question and a great observation. Our entire industry uh, sort of looks at this trade-off between fraud and friction. And, you know, the big consultant organizations, they'd be happy to take millions of dollars from a company to help them find the perfect balance between fraud and friction. But really, the answer you're after is you want to solve for both. And in your example, you want to make it so that if the bank calls you, you believe it's the bank and that you believe the person you're talking to is legitimate and that they're not sitting at their kitchen table in some other corner of the world writing down whatever you tell them. And they'd like to believe that when they call you, you're you, and you can immediately jump in and have that conversation. And you don't spend a lot of time trying to identify each other. And in today's world on that outbound call, that's exactly what happens. They have to make sure that it's you before they can convey any uh, private information and you're suspicious. And so in many cases, uh, either you have this silly conversation where you're both kind of poking at whether the other's legitimate or, you know, you might as a customer hang up and call back on their 800 number and it takes you about a half an hour to get back to the point of the conversation that they were trying to call you about because it's not well connected to their inbound call center. Similarly, if you were calling into a company or bank, as an example, today, you're going to call in and they're going to ask you to enter your 16 digit account number and your PIN number. And then when you get to the uh, the agent, they're probably going to ask you about your mother's maiden name. If you're calling uh, one of the uh, well-known airlines, they'll ask you your favorite pizza topping. In fact, my favorite pizza topping is not even one of their legitimate choices. So I end up forgetting what I told them last time because it's, you know, it's different all the time. I have to ask. What, what is your favorite pizza topping? Oh, I, I like... Uh, Actually, no, no, no. Don't answer that. That's a security thing. Don't answer that. Never mind. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. You're right. That's probably best to keep that private. But you could have sucked me into doing that, and then the world could have gotten at my frequent flyer miles, which are considerable. The, uh, the other kind of transaction when you're dealing with a company over the phone is uh, think about those situations when you're talking to a call center agent, and they ask you a question that makes you squirm in your seat about whether or not you ought to answer that question because you're just not comfortable giving them your social security number, some health information, your credit card number, your bank account and routing number. And yet we give this kind of information to agents all the time. And if we don't, then, you know, we can't buy things. We can't open new accounts. You know, oftentimes the uh, the response is, well, if you won't do it over the phone, then you've got to drive down and do it, you know, in our branch location or a retail location. And in today's world, there's so many ways that you can buy the information to pretend that you're a legitimate customer. So you think about the silly questions you get you get asked every time you try to uh, call into a call center. Most of the, the answers to those questions, you could look up in social media or you could buy in the dark web. Uh, even when you get to very sophisticated things like healthcare, a, a medical record's worth about $1,000 on the dark web. So there's a big market in that kind of information. And obviously, uh, anything that you can have or know can be uh, stolen or given away to somebody else. And that's one of the reasons why at Journey, what we've done is we've really tried to make it easy to bring biometrics into that entire life cycle of the, uh, of the conversation, because it's not easy to uh, have somebody steal your biometrics. 
or for you to give them to somebody else. And that is something that's sort of fundamental to what we're doing. Also, coming up with an approach that allows you to consume that kind of information and use it as a part of the uh, life cycle uh, of the customer process, the customer journey, if you will. So what work do you think is yet to be done? You know, you've, you've been a CTO, like you said, you saw technology five years ago that's just starting to hit today. Where do you see the work that remains in front of, you know, financial uh, institutions and how can they leverage that to stay competitive in a very, very tight market, right? The industry operates in constant growth mode, constantly fighting over each other's customers. What, what work is there to be done and how can they uh, leverage that to get a competitive edge? Well, I think one of the things that that we've done and uh, talk about, you know, sort of how we've approached this a little bit is we took a step back uh, when we founded Journey. My son, who had just sold his digital marketing agency that was focused on driving customer behavior online, he brought a unique set of perspectives from the, the marketing world, the marketing tech stack. I obviously come from the contact center world. And we started looking at the problem of how do we streamline these interactions and how can we do a better job of orchestrating that customer journey? And one of the conclusions we came to very quickly was that if we could use verified identity as the root of trust in the relationship between a consumer and a business, then these applications get dramatically better and they get dramatically easier to implement. That was sort of the first aha. And then we started taking a look at what exactly does identity mean? And we realized that it wasn't a point problem to be solved. It was really a life cycle problem. So what we worked on developing over the next couple of years, uh, starting about three and a half years ago, was a concept of a zero knowledge identity network, which could be used to manage that identity process from enrolling a new customer and verifying their identity. For example, if you wanted to create a Banking Secrecy Act compliant, know your customer, new account, there's a whole set of regulatory things associated with doing that. Then once you've done all that, you're now at the point where you want to talk to somebody, you're going to call in on the phone or you're going to authenticate over the web. How do you do that in a very low friction way, but with orders of magnitude improvement and veracity over what we do today? Once we're on the phone, once we're interacting with a, a human being or a chat bot or some other application, how do we do it in a way that we can convey information that needs to be checked or verified or entered but do it in a way that protects that customer's information on a need-to-know basis. So the, the classic example in cryptography is your 21-year-old daughter walks into a bar for her first drink, and she's handing her driver's license to some questionable-looking guy at the door who's now got her name, her birth date, her address, a lot of information that she just assumed he doesn't have. And frankly, he's got no need for. All he needs to know is that she's over 21. So that need to know concept is something that we bring into the, this whole set of uh, interactions. And when you think about the call center today, particularly since COVID, we've got 50% of the agents or more in the world working from home from their kitchen table. And all these uh, great things that have been built out in formal call centers around clean desk policies and things like that are pretty hard to enforce when you have somebody, you know, in, you know, some uh, it could be any country in the world sitting at their kitchen table acting as a contact center agent. So as you sort of think about that whole life cycle, you know, let's be able to verify and enroll somebody in less than two minutes instead of a couple of weeks or having to go to a branch. 
when we authenticate someone today, you're looking at knowledge-based authentication, you know, your mother's maiden name and questions like that. Uh, about 30% of real users forget the answers to those questions and get it wrong. And about two thirds of fraudsters in a targeted attack can get it right. And even if you move up to like voice biometrics, voice biometrics is actually only 90 to 94% roughly in terms of uh, false acceptance rate, which is great as a second factor, but it's not enough as a primary factor. If you start doing facial biometrics, you can get up to one in a million. Or if you do a video selfie, you can get up in the neighborhood of one in 12.8 million. And if you put a couple of these factors together, now you're at one in a billion. So a lot of the work that goes on with all the statistical analysis of fraud and risk and all that kind of stuff just becomes unnecessary if I can be absolutely confident that you're you based on those kind of biometrics. So for those of you, i.e. me, who don't have a background in cryptography, can you explain what is zero knowledge and why is it a crucial part of the online security process? So the concept of zero knowledge is the idea that you can prove that something's true without actually sharing the underlying data. So your bar example, perfect example, right? Exactly. If you think about sort of the way our solution works, you effectively can have, let's take a contact center agent wanting to verify your social security number. They can be sitting at their uh, computer. They can click a button on their screen when they're talking to you on the phone. And we've got this sort of separate data channel that's been established as part of the conversation between the agent and the customer. Today in the U.S., about 86% of the uh, callers are calling in on smartphones. And so you've got this device that's got all kinds of uh, sensors on it and all kinds of capability. So when you call in with that smartphone and now you're having this conversation, the agent needs to verify your social security number. Literally, we can have them press a button on their screen and it's either going to pop up in the mobile app or it's going to pop up with the link in the uh, in your SMS and you're going to get a form and that form you're going to enter your social security number. It's going to be encrypted with the destination that it's going to be delivered to. And there's a lot of other layers of encryption, other things behind all this, but at the highest level, it's going to get delivered to that endpoint where they're going to verify it. And then all they're going to do is send a certificate back to that agent that says, Social security number validated because the agent doesn't need to know your social security number. They don't need to know your birth date. They don't need to know your street address. Most of the information that we share with agents on the 12 applications they typically have running on their screen contains information they don't actually need to have to do a transaction or provide service. They need to have enough to have a comfortable conversation. There is some information you certainly want to provide to an agent, like you might want to provide the city they live in, maybe the year they were born. But the actual lower level details, totally unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, we, we often think about, you know, our social security number as being the golden key. But if you have the last four of my social, you can do a lot of damage because that's almost become the de facto standard. So e even something that we think of as obscured can really be an asset in the wrong hands. So it's fascinating that you guys are, are basically saying, look, I'm the source of trust. You just need to know that I am who I say I am. And you can pass that data to me as a consumer to say the person you're talking to is who you think they are. And that would, to me, create efficiencies as well, because we're not playing this silly 20 question game to your point of, you know, what's your date of birth? What's your social security number? What's your mother's maiden name? What's your daughter's DNA sequence? I mean, you know, you exaggerate, but not by much. And part of that, to your point, is just because there's so much data floating around on the dark web that's already been sold. You've got to constantly find new pieces of fresh data that, to your point, the consumers forget so easily. 
and you guys just make it so frictionless. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen is just amazing. You know, it's it's really for me, it's just an exciting area to be uh, to be working in right now. And you think about this issue of the the data being all over the place. So we've got an issue today, like you'd say, a lot of people have that data already. So you've got to come up with fresh data all the time. And one of the reasons that it doesn't get any better is because everybody feels free to share that information. So even within an enterprise, you can imagine that there's this central customer record and it's under some incredible vault of security. We've built, built big walls around it to try and protect it from hackers. But even within a company, what typically ends up happening is every department and division and use case feels like it's their right to make a copy of those customer records for their own use case. And so you end up with copies of customer data spread all over the place within the enterprise, as opposed to any use case needing to go back to that central database and on a need to know basis, only verify a piece of data, maybe even without getting to see it. So this is within a company as well as across multiple companies. And to your point of frictionless, if you take a look at uh, like the scenario of when you call into a call center, Today, it takes anywhere from 45 to 90 seconds to authenticate someone typically. I talked to a TV uh, provider recently who told me that they were spending up to four and a half minutes to authenticate people. And in the U.S., you're talking about a, about a dollar a minute for agent time. So you think about the amount of money you're, you're, uh, you're spending on you know, millions of these phone calls a year. And then you think about it from the consumer point of view. How, how many of us feel good about the fact that we've gone through this whole long process? We finally get to the agent. They ask us a bunch of silly questions. Then they can't help us. And so they're going to transfer us to somebody else. And they go through the whole thing all over again. So with our technology, what happens is that let's say you're calling in from your smartphone. We're going to check and see if you've got a mobile app for that company running on your smartphone. If you do, the IVR is going to say, for faster service, please log into your mobile app. And if you're, you know, my 91-year-old father-in-law, you're going to say, what the heck? And you're going to look at your phone, and there's going to be an in-app notification that says, touch here to log in. And he doesn't do a lot of sophisticated things with his smartphone, but he can press that notification, face ID spins, and you've now logged in with a one in a million veracity. And that's going to happen in less than a second. Now we can route you to the agent. We can give the agent a big green check mark on the screen that it's you. They're not going to ask you any silly questions. And the way we've set up our applications is that when you do these kinds of things, you're collecting certificates. So everything you do that gets verified, um, every piece of information that gets collected, leads to a certificate on your phone. So if you get transferred to another agent, all those certificates can be transferred as well. And typically in our industry, we've been thinking for years that while we have CTI, we can transfer identity with CTI. The reality is that most CISOs don't consider CTI to be secure enough for transferring identity information. Whereas the certificate approach fits completely within the approach that they view as being a very secure and valid way to, uh, to pass that kind of information. So we get rid of the friction, not just on the initial call, but if you're in one of those organizations that's got a little work to do and might transfer somebody two or three times, we can get rid of all the friction associated with that as well. And if you look at the way that a lot of call centers get around that today as they do a warm transfer, the agent, first agent stays on the call while it goes to the next agent. So they wait in queue with the customer. And, you know, they're, they're selling that as, hey, it's a warm handoff and I get to explain the problem and all that. But a big part of it is so they don't have to do the identity thing all over again. You also have to trust the first agent did their job properly, and that leads to other, you know, vectors of uh, potential identity theft, fraud. I mean, it's just it's it's a fascinating space to be in. And to your point, CTI is old, old technology. I mean, that is not anything new. So it, it's not 
surprising, although it's surprising we still depend on it. It's not surprising that it's not seen as a, a secure method for transfer. That, that's fascinating. You guys are, are really hitting the, the triad of the next gen customer service needs, you know, security, privacy, customer experience, all being solved at the same time. What's next? What, where do you guys see contact centers being able to leverage your technology to really drive even further into operational efficiencies like what we've talked about, you know, cutting out the 20 questions and then, you know, going beyond that? So some of the other things that we're delivering as sort of the next steps that we haven't really uh, talked about here yet are how do we know that the agent is the person that we interviewed is the same one we hired is the one that shows up for work? And how do we know that there's not somebody else looking over their shoulder at all of your information? There's a lot of great stories out there right now. BPOs tend to be uh, you know, one of the biggest targets for this, but pretty much any large enterprise. So you're seeing everything from entrepreneurial individual, you know, maybe in a low cost geography who is great at getting contact center jobs. And they discover, hey, I can go get six contact center jobs. And since I'm working remotely these days, I can then farm the work out to my my kids, my friends and that sort of thing. So that's sort of one, you know, individual entrepreneurial example of fraud that, that occurs. And then you can get into situations today where there's literally syndicates and they will have people that are very good at interviewing and they'll be the ones that interview for the jobs remotely. Then they'll maybe use a stolen identity to do the E-Verify. And then perhaps they might use an undocumented immigrant or somebody overseas to actually handle that call. And they'll maybe pay them half the money that the company's paying and uh, keep the other half. And at the same time, they'll ask that agent that they put into this role to write down all the PII on, on everything that they get from a customer. So it's literally a business. So we've applied the same technology that we've talked about for customers to contact center agents as well. We can have them, when they first start to interview, we can check their identity, uh, their driver's license, for example, verify it against their face, make sure that their driver's license is legitimate, check them in the terrorist watch list databases and things like that that we would do for creating a bank account. And then we can make sure that the same person shows up for the next interview, the same person that shows up for the final job application. When they come to work in the morning, they're the ones that log in. And throughout the day, we can verify that they're still the ones sitting there. And we can keep an eye out for things like other faces looking over their shoulder. So now you can do sort of that clean desk policy in a formal call center. You're sort of accomplishing with a clean screen policy. And if you add to that what we talked about with the zero knowledge uh, proof kind of technology where they never get to see the information, they can't write anything down because it's not on the screen. So that's one whole area of growth for us as well. And then the other thing, like I mentioned early on, is that if you are doing a really good job of verifying everybody that's involved in an interaction, you also are cutting out majority of the fraud. So now you can focus your fraud efforts on a much smaller volume of transactions instead of having to look at, at, at all of them. If you start looking at use cases outside the contact center, there's all kinds of places where you can imagine this comes together. So all the, the growth in telehealth, which is great, for example, they're literally hiring doctors on video calls. Once they've hired the doctor, they're now having a consult, obviously, on video with a customer and the, or with a patient. The two of them have never met got things to verify with insurance and other things as a part of that. And then perhaps out of that interaction, you're going to write a script and provide a uh, prescription for a drug that's going to get delivered by a mail order pharmacy. I mean, what could possibly go wrong in that interaction, right? 
tremendous incentive for all kinds of people to commit fraud. During the pandemic, we've kind of given HIPAA a, a pass in a lot of use cases. As we move to the future, HIPAA and a lot of other regulatory requirements are going to have to come back into play, but they're going to have to come into play in a way that can support a lot more remote interactions. And our technology works really well with all of those kinds of applications as well. You guys are one of our founding experience builder partners. And what I found fascinating at Engage was a story told about yourselves and another uh, experience builder that we've interviewed, Toolwire. David Clark from Toolwire, we, we did a podcast with, and he could not stop talking about how he saw the opportunity to take your technology and leverage it with his solution in the experience builder ecosystem, to your point, to cut down on fraud in education, in training with customers. So you guys' technology isn't just something you deliver and you're applying to things. It, it's also a toolkit that other developers in the ex experience builder ecosystem can apply to theirs. And I think that just compounds the benefit, no? It's a very exciting time to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, you know, if I historically has had thousands of development partners and, you know, back to our conversation about CTI, you could use CTI to do almost anything in theory, right? But it was really hard and took a long time and could be really fragile unless you did it just right. The reality was most partners didn't sort of come together and create new applications overnight because it was just too hard. This concept of experience builders, I just love because it really brings out what's possible in today's cloud environment. When you start looking at one cloud, the idea of composing applications by bringing a whole lot of different pieces together. I mean, that's the way young developers develop today. If you go and look at some of the recent college grads that we have, for example, on staff, and you watch the way they develop, they've got a dozen screens going at any one time on their Mac and they're flipping all over the place. They're, if they're building a prototype, they're building bringing in code from here and there, and they're clicking together and boom, you've got a new experience in a very short period of time. We're now bringing that same sort of concept into these applications that we can do in the communication world. And when I get together with somebody like Toolwire and I got to see their uh, spaces learning application when I happened to be over in Dubai when I met David, we quickly realized, he's, you know, I saw that and then he saw our demo that we could bring these things together. And not like over the next two years, but literally overnight. And one of the, the things that's really important about what we've done with Journey is we've created this network platform that really is meant to make it easy to deal with identity throughout the life cycle. And so you can put applications on top of that identity network and you can either put information in like risk scores or policies or biometrics tools, whatever you'd like in that area, or you can take information out of it and use it for authentication or doing transactions and other things. So like in the case of the spaces learning where you want to make sure that the person that is going to get trained is the one we hired and you want to be able to proctor that test or that learning, you want to make sure people actually go through the whole learning process and aren't just sort of logging in and click, click, clicking. All of those kinds of things require technologies that we can make easy to consume. Let's hold off on that for a little bit of some of the stuff I have to go through with Avaya because you're just describing like me, click, 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 click. Let me just get to the test and opt out here. Uh, it, the idea of having to actually sit through some of that stuff may be a little scary, but it's necessary. So it's a good thing. Well, it depends on the application, too. So one of the BPOs that we're working with in Japan has some government customers. And one of the key use cases that they're concerned about is if you're going to go through two months of 
training that requires regulatory compliance around how that's done, what you've learned, and now you're going to go provide home healthcare services, for example, you want to be pretty sure they've actually gone through the training and that it's the same person and not one of their kids that's been sitting there watching the videos, right? Exactly. As our society comes to reimagine and redefine online privacy, what new trends or legislation do you see driving that change? And what new technologies like AI, chatbots, biometrics do you think are going to enhance the customer journey, not replace it? Well, that's a really good question because privacy has obviously become an enormous issue. We're seeing a lot of regulatory work going on around the world, uh, GDPR in Europe, for example, California privacy here in the U.S., Pretty much every state in the United States is busy competing to come up with their own more restrictive privacy uh, laws and regulations. We're not going to avoid them whether we want to or not. And obviously, most consumers think it's a great thing. Businesses get concerned because they want to do personalized marketing and they want to really target both in terms of selling things to people as well as providing a great experience. And one of the things about the approach that we're taking with the technology is we can provide what's needed to provide a very, very high level of personalization, while at the same time not spreading that PII or personal financial information or health information all over the place and making copies of it and creating databases that inevitably will be hacked because they're just so valuable. You know, we eliminate all of that. When you start looking at driving AI types of applications, to support that personalization. That's a really interesting uh, question of the intersection between those AI databases and that customer data privacy uh, and those issues. Our approach to those kinds of problems is to keep it distributed. So for example, we could run an application that was on the edge of the network where the data resided. So if you're gonna do an AI application, instead of bringing all that data to the core and running all of your analysis on the core, if you can basically have the algorithms running out there and basically bring them to the data wherever the data exists instead of copying the data and and, uh, making additional uh, massive honeypots of data all over the place, you essentially can improve the security and the privacy and yet still get the personalization that you're looking for in those kinds of applications. That's awesome. So basically you're making the, the algorithm the hub instead of the data the hub, you know, making the algorithm go out and fetch what it needs versus basically bringing you know, the algorithms to the day. That's fascinating. So, Brett, I just want to, again, say thank you for joining today's episode. I think this is just fascinating stuff. The work that you guys are doing is going to truly revolutionize how customer service happens and does it in a very secure way. So, again, just want to say thank you. Totally impressed by what you guys are doing. And this is actually kind of a neat little goal of mine because sitting in those audiences in the past and watching you present It was always one of those things that I I always kind of said I want to be like Brett. So thank you for taking the time. Steve, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Super excited to be working with you and the rest of the team at Avaya. And, you know, looking at your backdrop there with uh, some of the uh, superpowers that are uh, on your wall behind you. And and I think that when we bring these things together, we start uh, really thinking about experience builders and making that real. That's really what we're bringing to the customer is we're, we're giving them superpowers. Agreed. It's it's the technology version of the Justice League. I love it. Exactly. You got that right. Thanks, Brett. All right. Have a great day. Thanks again to Brett for coming on the show and telling us all about the biggest transformations in the important and often unseen world of identity and security. If you're enjoying this, please be sure to rate the show and leave a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. 
I'm your host, Steve Forkham, and this has been The Experience, where we share insights into the future of customer and employee experiences.